encourage the shepherds of God's flock. <clears throat> Perhaps I can begin by just reminding all of us that which I think we all are aware of is that we all need a shepherd. It is a shepherd's job to care for the sheep because the sheep needs to be cared for. As simple as that. At some point in our lives, we are most vulnerable and we need others to look out for us. Babies need moms and dads. And as we grow, <clears throat> we all need guidance. And this does not come naturally. Even mothers need to be taught from their mothers, that is young mothers in particular, need to be taught from their mothers how to care for the newborn. When we are young, we need to be shepherded. And as we mature, we are expected to share in the burden of shepherding the young, that is the young members of the family. I recall when our kids were young, they were very competitive with each other. So in order to break the sharp edges and get them to cooperate more with each other, we decided to acquire a puppy. I know Dale is there, but I know Dawn is here and she would remember Flash, that was his name. Mainly as a pet. However, in Guyana, and I dare say the Caribbean, pets are not allowed indoors, as you would find in North America and Europe. The moment they try crossing the front, the front door threshold, it's out. And there's not much intimacy and hugging there. The Bible tells us that in New Testament times, dogs were kept as pets. They ate the crumbs that fell from the master's table, that is little puppies. In Guyana, not a chance. They have to wait until after lunch to get those leftovers. But there's another animal that enjoyed close relationship and fellowship within the family. In 2 Samuel chapter 12, verse 3, we read, A poor man who owned one little ewe lamb, which he had brought and nourished up, and it grew up together with him and his children, did eat of his own meat, and drank out of his own cup, lay in his own bosom, was as a daughter unto him. Yes, you're not going to quite find that in the Caribbean. Sadly, this one lamb ended up on the dinner table of a rich neighbor who bullied it out of him to feed a visiting friend, even though he had countless other lambs of his own. What is it about sheep that make them the preferred parable to the people of God as opposed to dogs? as opposed to goats. Perhaps it's their gentleness and particularly their innocence and need to be guided and protected. In my 40 years as a driver, I have seen all sorts of animals killed on the roads, including sheep. But I want you to note, I have never seen a goat dead at the roadside. When goats at the roadside hear a car horn, that is the Guyana goats, 
they immediately turn back or they wait, they turn at the pedestrian crossing. <laughs> that is saying much better for, than many people. Not sheep. When sheep hear the mother's voice, they keep going regardless. Some of you may well recall that story I told sometime back of a lamb answering its mother's call across the street, and this happened to be Aubrey Barker Street in Georgetown, while I happened to be heading to work on my motorcycle. Without checking, as a goat would have, this little lamb on hearing its mother's call dashed straight across the road and into my path. In fact, it landed in my lap. And more startled than I was, it leapt straight into my lap while in horror I tried to maintain control of the bike. With Sister Carol sitting behind me and a two-year-old Sister Dawn prancing with excitement between us. While a 50-seater city bus is racing toward us from the opposite direction. Thankfully, the frightened lamb just as quickly jumped out of my lap and safely headed over to mom. That was a relief. It all happened so quickly. In our, in our angel's eyes, this is precisely how we behave sometimes. Like that lamb. Indeed, we all need a shepherd, but none, not many apply for the job. It is a privilege to be called a shepherd of God's flock. And that's the first thing I want us to note. Many who are called to lead God's flock were rather reluctant to take up the offer, that is at first. Notably, Moses. If we were to check with Exodus chapter 4 after he was called at the burning bush, he gave God four reasons why he should find, he, God, should find someone else to lead Israel out. Now remember, Moses had fled from Egypt 40 years before. He was trained in all the arts and wisdom of Egypt the superpower of his day. But God worked it out in such a way that it took him 40 years after fleeing from Pharaoh. Another 40 years of post-grad training before he could lead God's flock. With all his education, he had to spend 40 years leading sheep. He was about to learn the long way that there was no better educational college for the shepherd. Also, that all good shepherds must first experience the life of the sheep. So the shepherd, parabolically speaking, must first be a sheep and in an unceasing capacity, really. Brethren in Christ's ecclesia must first or I should say, are being trained today for future world leadership. A privilege which belongs, which, be, which is beyond the glories of this age and equal to no less than the angels of heaven. In Hebrews chapter 1, verse 13, we read, 
To which of the angels has God ever said, sit at my right hand and I will make your enemies a footstool for your feet? Are they, that is the angels, not all ministering spirits, sent out to serve for the sake of those who are to inherit salvation? Shepherding the flock of God is a great privilege for the immortal angels. How much more we as mere mortals when asked to share in the glorious task of guiding the people of God to his coming kingdom. But how do we react when we are asked to share the burden in our ecclesia, brethren? And this goes for sisters as well. We only tend to think of the brothers as sheep, as shepherds. Why are they expecting me to do this or that? Why don't they ask brother X or sister Y? What motivates us to think this way, my dear brethren? In order to test our motives and motivation, let us instead ask ourselves this question. How would I react if I were to asked to join a preaching group to visit an exclusive Bible camp overseas? or visit a beautiful place in Europe or North America, sorry about that, would I not be quick to ask, where is the flight? I need to arrange for my vacation leave right away, or special leave, or even sick leave. They'll tell the boss anything to get on that mission. Would that change our attitude? It is a privilege to be a part of the Lord's workforce, whatever the task may be. The backup army for the Lord's task force are the heavenly angels. These angels vet our plans. They mark our every step. We should be trying to jump the queue to get our name called for such service or offer voluntary service. Each brother, each sister, has a specialized talent God wants to use. No one else can fit that particular role. Think how the angels are disappointed when we turn away, or like Moses at the beginning, make excuse after excuse. Paul was specially chosen to take the gospel to the Gentiles because at that time, not just anyone could do it. He writes in Romans chapter 15, verse 15. Nevertheless, brethren, I have written the more boldly unto you in this, in some sort, as putting you in mind because of the grace that is given to me of God, that I should be the minister of Jesus Christ to the Gentiles, ministering the gospel of God, that the offering up of the Gentiles might be acceptable, being sanctified by the Holy Spirit. And in Galatians chapter 2, verse 9, when James and Cephas, that is Peter and John, who seem to be pillars, perceived the grace that was given to me, they gave me the right, they gave us the right hand of fellowship, that is to me and Barnabas, that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. At that time, Paul happened to be the most qualified person to do that along with Barnabas. And this is the point I'm making. What is the work of a shepherd? 
Simply put, it is to feed the flock. To feed the flock. In First Peter chapter 5, verse 2, he writes, Feed the flock of God which is among you, taking the oversight thereof, not by constraint, but willingly, not for filthy lucre, that's money, but of a ready mind, and not for themselves. In his second letter, he wrote at verse 1, chapter 2, but there were false prophets among the people, even as there shall be false teachers among you, who privily shall bring in damnable heresies, and through covetousness shall they make, shall they with feigned words make merchandise of you. So they are good shepherds, and they are shepherds with bad intention. And that's sad. All sheep need a shepherd. They, sheep, they need a shepherd to one care for the health of the sheep. They have to pick out parasites. The sheep get parasites and diseases. They pick them up from everywhere. So when we see those nice, uh, uh, that nice flock on the, on a postcard, that's only what you're seeing from a drawing or from a distance. It's a different matter when you get to know the sheep and see how they are struggling with the parasites. Even their own wool, if it's not cut by a certain time, is infested with parasites and it irritates them no end. They need the shepherd to take care of their health. Secondly, they need a shepherd to guide them to safe resting places. If not, they will innocently go down wrong paths. And I say innocently take the wrong route, especially those that are at the back. They have a mind of their own and they will easily wander off. David writes in Psalm 23, thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. The shepherd, the sheep needs a shepherd to protect them and to rescue them from predators. And when we think about brethren, that is from other people infiltrating their minds with false ideas. Just the media alone standing by itself is a great temptation to turn a brother, especially a young brother or sister, out of the way. Wolves and wild dogs are the predators that we have in mind. The shepherd David spoke of a lion and a bear. The staff of the shepherd is used to guide the sheep, which is a positive function, whereas the rod is used for its protection to fend off the wolf. We see Moses leading God's people out of Egypt and lifting up his staff to part the Red Sea. The shepherd needs that staff just as you need your cell phone today. You know, the cell phone has taken on a repetition that some people actually sleep with them. They will not let it out of their sight for one minute. I mean, literally a minute. It's like a lifeline. The rod has another function. The rod's function particularly is to help to discipline the sheep. 
a word we do not like to hear because we often assume the innocent sheep can do no wrong. This is a falsehood which has led to many a problem in the fold. We, and we all are sheep, we as sheep do misbehave sometimes. Sometimes we can get very aggressive, especially when their hormones are jumping. We can get very aggressive to one another and we can even injure ourselves. Like an untrained child trying to steal a drive in his father's car when no one is watching. Like a child playing with matches. Such a need a firm hand, but a loving one to correct them. That is the use of the rod. In Isaiah chapter 11, we read at verse four, but with righteousness, the Messiah shall judge the poor and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. He shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth and with the breath of his lips, he shall slay the wicked. My dear brethren, the rod is not necessarily physical force. The rod is the word of God. Let's not think we have to be like the old time parents when it's a word and a blow. A child does a wrong and they're not in a position to reason with the child. And so they let their hands fly or anything that comes to hand. Shepherds must correct on the basis of the word of God and not merely on emotions. No, the parent gets vexed and so they, they lash out as the only solution. So, what is the rod and the staff in the ecclesia? It is the same word when applies in different contexts. Sometimes the term rod and staff are used interchangeably in scripture. Isaiah chapter 10 verse 5, God is saying, O Assyrian, the rod of mine anger, the staff in their hand, is my indignation. God is saying here, he is going to use Assyria's own strength to chastise them. Another function is seeking out the lost. Grass can look much greener in the distance or in someone else's pasture and entice the sheep away from the flock. A sheep separated from the flock is a bonus banquet for the hungry wolf searching for a meal, especially as night approaches. And for those who have watched the videos of predators like lions and so on attacking cows or sheep or whatever, the first thing those guys do, and they're very smart, we call them dumb animals, but they are very smart. The very first thing the lion does is to try to separate a choice sheep from the flock. They don't just run into the flock and pick out one. Because when they begin to attack the sheep, or if it's a cows or bison, they begin to stampede. So it's a race all the way across the savannah. And they pick out, they look for the weak one, the one at the edge, the one at the back, and they separate them from the rest of the flock. And then the others very likely are going to give up that chase if the prey is large enough. And they come and 
They will eat it alive. That's what we're saying here. Now the frantic, and this is important, the frantic cries of the lost sheep is a compass to the wolf. You know, a brother's sister makes an error, an unfortunate error. They step onto the world, maybe like the prodigal son. They don't, they don't really intend to do that, but it has happened. And then they sit among the swine or whatsoever, and they begin to wish they had enough that they could partake of the planting skins that the pigs were eating. Others would begin to complain, oh, life is so bad with them. And they are sympathetic listeners, not from those who love God. They're far away from the flock, far away from the ecclesia. But they are grumbling. Maybe perhaps they weren't treated well. Maybe things weren't nice enough with them. And those around are hearing, here is a sheep crying out. It is, it is in need. This is the kind of meal I am looking for. A discontented lamb or sheep. So the good shepherd would leave all the others with a competent assistant. Note that a competent assistant as David, as David did. David, when he was a shepherd, was asked by his father to take some food to see his brothers who were in Saul's army, see how they are doing and carry this bit of um, food for them. What David does, he leaves the sheep with a competent assistant. And that shepherd would go out into the night searching for that lost sheep. And we see this is what David did on Jesse's orders. Jesus, the good shepherd himself gives a summary of the job of a shepherd. In John chapter 10, which was read for us, here are the familiar words, but sometimes we read them a little too quickly. I am the door. By me, if any man enter in, he shall be saved and shall go in and out and find a pasture. The thief cometh not but for, but for to steal and to kill and to destroy. But I am come that you might have life, that you might have it more abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. But he that is an hireling, that is only doing the job because he has some material motive, some personal interest in mind that has nothing to do with the interest of the sheep. He that is an hireling, not the shepherd, whose own sheep are not, see, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and runs. The wolf catches them scatters the sheep. The hireling flees because he's a hireling and does not care for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and I'm known of mine. As the father knows me, even so I the father and I lay down my life for the sheep. That's the ultimate love and intimacy a sheep a shepherd can have for the flock to put your neck on the line when the danger 
is a real one. What are the qualifications of being a shepherd? We cannot possibly give justice to all in so short a time, but we'll consider a few. First of all, shepherds, I want to point out, are not only men or brothers in the ecclesia. They are shepherdesses too. Can we think of any? Can we think of any shepherdess? Certainly. We can think of Rebecca. We can think of Rachel looking after Laban's flocks. We can think of Deborah as a spiritual shepherd in Israel. Shepherdesses are better, and I want us to note this. This is one of the highlights of the short talk. Shepherdesses are better positioned to advise the young sisters on how to conduct themselves, where it would be awkward for an elder brother to insert himself. That young sister who is blissfully heading for a wrong relationship, that sister retreating into isolation or taking up the wrong profession that would make service to Christ so much more difficult. Paul writes to Titus in chapter 2, verse 3, he says the aged women, and does not have to be aged women, meaning elderly women with gray hairs. It simply means the matured women, the experienced sisters. They should advise that they be in behavior as becometh holiness, not false accusers, not given to much wine. They must be teachers of good things. And here it comes that they may teach the young sisters to be sober, to love their husbands, to love their children, to be discreet, chaste, and keepers at home, good, obedient to their husbands, that the word of God be not blasphemed. Well, if we were to bother with the world today, brothers and sisters, we'll get a, we'll get a sharp scissors and cut out Titus chapter 2 verses three and four. It's an irritant because it hasn't got a proper place in today's world. We are pressed into the world's mold to think all of that I've just read verses three to five. That's nonsense. You know, you're living in the, in, a, in the dark ages, but how much does the new philosophy, how much has it benefited the modern generation? We see advances in science and every possible form of technology, men have gone to the moon. Our greatest failure occurs in our own homes with our own children. And you know something? Your shepherds are taking blame, you know. But what do you want us to do? I gotta watch my colloquial language because I know not only uh, Caribbean folk are listening. What do you expect us to do? That's the world we now live in, the modern age. But these have been the time-proven tenets of scripture. And if we were to trust God and follow them, we would have better personal lives. We would have better family lives. We will have better communities. There would be better countries. There would be a better world. That cannot happen today, brethren. So we have already the world has already passed 
the lime in the sun. I'm sorry to say that. We are at a stage where we have gone over the, 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 the brow of the hill or the tip of the falls. And it's now self-evident that only the Lord Jesus, a mighty hand from somewhere, can bring order into this world. Order in the world begins in the family. And that's where the true shepherds begin. It's not only in the ecclesia. Whether male or female, shepherds or shepherdesses must first and foremost care for the sheep because they care for the owner of the sheep who is the Lord, the Lord of all. This translates to genuinely loving the Lord. By this shall all men know ye are my disciples, that ye show love one toward another. Without love for our Lord, we cannot honestly care for his people. If you don't love the boss, trust me, you're not going to love the boss sheep. You're not going to love the flock. We would only be seeking opportunity and rich and advance ourselves at the expense of the ecclesia. We would only attend to them when we have spare time. I can't come now tomorrow. Let brother Edson, sister, why do that? Secondly, shepherds must be persons of integrity. Integrity is basically the honor of our character. The way we are looked upon by the ordinary man, the, the man in the clap and bus, as they say, the ordinary man out there. What are we known for in the community? Integrity trumps academic qualifications any day, at least in God's eyes. Better is one who can be trusted rather than one who boasts academic and social standing. The sons of Jacob tended their father's flock, but their younger brother, the scripture says, brought dad their evil report. Perhaps they sold the sheep and lined their pockets on the side, which is yet another reason for them hating Joseph. He was a spy. <laughs> he was, you know, um, I forget the word that they used. Uh, 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 I forget the word used, sniffed or something, I forget. When you squeal on the rest of the gang, She's not going to be welcome. First Timothy chapter 3, verse 7 says, Moreover, he or she, please bear in mind, sisters, you are shepherds as well, must have a good report of them which are on the outside of the ecclesia, lest they fall into the reproach and snare of the devil. Verse 8, likewise must the deacons be grave. Grave there means serious-minded. Not double-tongued. Double-tongued means strangers to the truth. Not given to much wine. Well, you could, in Guyana, you could scratch the word wine. We say rum. Lovers of rum. <laughs> Maybe I could tell you and give you another anecdote. One time I was, uh, I was working at a bank in the countryside and we were entertaining some cricketers from Trinidad. And there was one very popular sports writer from a very popular newspaper was sitting around the table. 
which also included my dad. And then because he was such a confident uh, uh, a man of the media, he turns to me and says, Mr. Andrews, what are you drinking? Well, I don't drink rum. So I says, well, you know, I'll have some juice here or that. He says, Mr. Andrews, I did not, I asked you what you were drinking, not what you're suffering from. In other words, you calling for juice around a table like that, you're calling for medicine. Of course, it was a laugh for everybody else, but I took it in stride. Yes, we have to, we have to be very careful about the integrity we carry. We must not be greedy for money, holding the mystery of the faith in a pure conscience that is one that is free from sin. Now that we are sinless, we could have committed a world of sins before, but when we are enjoined to Christ, we are expected to do our very best, even though we may falter from time to time, to be faithful to him. Don't be proud of our faults. Ask God to help us to get up and dust ourselves off and with his help and forgiveness to move on. If the public were to see Ecclesia elders visiting bars, drinking about the place, what a shock they would have when they find out that they're preaching church. What would they think of not only of you, but of the Ecclesia? Maybe I should join that Ecclesia. I could, I, I could carry on anyhow I like. Next, shepherds must be gentle. They must be gentle, especially to the sensitive. If the sheep starts thinking that he's a goat, then it may be some kind, there may be need for some kind of remedial treatment. Shepherds must be selfless. Self-denial, such as in working, being prepared to work over time for the sheep. Maybe getting collegial work done. And any recording brother would know what I'm talking about. It sounds like an easy job, but I can tell you. Any recording brother can tell you he's sitting in a hot seat. And you better be prepared to take criticism, even from those to whom you have been most helpful. It comes with the job of a shepherd. You have to take it in stride and not get unduly offensive. You have to be tending your sheep for long hours without food for yourself. The shepherd must be courageous in the face of danger, as David was in rescuing his father's sheep. He must have foresight. Ah, this is another thing. You can't be thinking in the present. You have to know the sheep. I know my sheep and they know me. We have to have foresight to anticipate the needs of the sheep. And sometimes the needs are peculiar to a particular sheep. Some of them are not only aggressive, some are adventurous, some are very amorous, and some of them seem to love giving the shepherd a rough time. At least it, it doesn't appear to that like that to a stranger, unless you know sheep. They have to have foresight. Jesus says, I know my sheep. 
you have to know their weaknesses. It is your business, not to inquire into their fine personal affairs. That's not what we're talking about here. But some have peculiar weaknesses. You've got to be prepared to share in them before you can know how to help them. And finally, shepherds must be able to manage conflict. It's impossible not to have conflict in a flock. I say that without any fear of contradiction. It is impossible not to have conflict in any ecclesia. If you don't have a single conflict in ecclesia, that ecclesia perhaps is dead. Somebody just walking you know, behind some other mortal body and just doing whatever. One has got to use the word and try to develop within it. And people will come up with certain ideas that do not rock the boat. But they, we all have to think and ask God for understanding and enlightenment. We need not be professional counselors. What we need is a humble approach to the word of God in asking his divine guidance when problems arise. Next, what virtues can shepherding teach us? As exhorting brothers, as well as mothers in Israel, we daily read and study the finest virtues the word of God has to offer. A good shepherd must be able to cross-pollinate the best of those virtues which he desires for his own family with the needs of the ecclesia and vice versa. There must be a healthy balance in sharing time, in sharing energies between the work of God, his family, and the ecclesia. If done correctly, both will benefit and both will grow together, not at the expense of one another. Because shepherding God's flock helps us to see our own vulnerabilities and need for a personal shepherd. It is when we begin to exhort, it's when we begin to counsel others, we become so aware of our personal needs. We might only look so knowledgeable and important to others, but we inside, within our heart of hearts, we become conscious of how easily we could be committing the same mistake this young brother or sister may be making right now. They're asking me for advice, yes, but how far away am I from that danger myself? We are pressed to practice in the ecclesia what we preach to our families. Likewise, we are pressed to practice in our homes what we preach and expect in our meetings. We can't be doing one without the other. You're a careless father, but you have the loftiest principles when we get on the platform. No. One must feed the other. It's a cross-pollination. Even Jesus himself is referred to as the Lamb of God. And he's the great shepherd. He was the good shepherd. And is referred to by Holy Spirit as the Lamb. Not even as the sheep. The Lamb of God, which is going to be offered up. He first had to humble himself as a lamb does. Balance in life is everything. We've got to find balance in everything. We can easily 
make the mistake of ignoring the needs of the sheep that are right under our very noses, our, our children, while focusing all our attention on the battlefield of the ecclesia. I think you know where I'm coming from, brethren. It's a two-way street, or else we will be living two different lives. Let's give a few examples. King David, the greatest in Israel, clearly did poorly on the family front. Now, it's, it's not my point here to knock King David. King David was the greatest king Israel ever had. But you see, great men become great after they hold up a mirror to themselves and not allow the word greatness to get to their heads. All his children took note of those mistakes of greater or lesser extent. And they were not kind to David's legacy. We can be out in the battlefields with wife and kids at home, with no one to minister the spiritual food, and this can lead to a rudderless ship. When we come home, we shock the find that we, we, we what we're telling the, the ecclesia on the on the platform is not is not not happening in our own home, and we are the shepherd in the home. Dads must be aware of and be able to endorse mom's decision in the home, especially when he was not there. Children need to see both parents hold one head or your goose is cooked as parents. Consider the sad story of David's family. Amnon became so consumed with lust and raped his own sister. Absalom, the most physically handsome in the eyes of the world, chased his dad from the throne like a little frightened puppy. Solomon, one of the the one the Lord loved most dipped his glory in the sweet poison of wine, women, and song and played with the children of the idolatry, the worst possible sin a man can commit, at least for a time. Being there at home and helping the mother apportion the right guidance to our kids is critical because these kids are likely to be the brethren and sisters in tomorrow's ecclesia especially as they approach adolescence, those shaky teen years when the hormones begin jumping and they demand on-the-spot answers to their questions from their parents. On the other hand, we can neglect the house of God by thinking only of what we want in our homes. We exercise loving care there while having an anything-goes attitude over the house of God due to fear of criticism from our brethren. This, my dear brethren, is called cheap popularity. We are not called as servants of God to be popular, brethren. Yes, we need to exercise loving care toward each member of the flock with a clear conscience, but let's beware of giving our vote to gross and discipline for the sake of cheap popularity and at the expense of the good name of Christ. Eli, the high priest at Shiloh, that's another good case study of a shepherd who passed over his son's vileness. Hophni and Phinehas. We couldn't think of a record of, of, of priests more vile, possibly for the choicest steaks that they fed him. What's this I hear of your misdeeds? That was the strongest reprimand he could find with those boys. What of great Samuel? Oh, Samuel, the greatest of all the judges. Forever at the Lord's service. Please take these thoughts in mind here. I'm not, I'm not the critic 
of Brother Samuel at all. I'm trying to show us the other side of the coin, brethren. Sometimes we are even too afraid to mention them. Where did he go wrong with the flock in his own house? Your sons do not walk in your ways. Was the game-changing call to dump God's constitution for popular government? From the people, that is. Samuel cried. But they were looking at his sons. That is why, that's one of the main motivators for their call. They were seeing what's happening outside. And they were all the time trying to put up with Samuel and this theocracy. That's how they saw it. Till eventually they got their opportunity. Give us a king that would go before us like the other nations. Your son Samuel, just don't cut it. You are old and when you are dead, your sons are not going to be the kind of leader that you are. Service to God must have balance. Don't think we are doing God a great favor by neglecting the church that is in our own house for the more visible and popular pastures. We will be held accountable for both. Now, what are the challenges of shepherding the brotherhood today? Elders find less personal time due to greater demands of occupational work. In order to eat, in order to live, you have to eat. Whether you're working for yourself, you're working with the government or in private enterprise. But sometimes the demands unavoidably can be more than we can bear. Another one is constant disturbance by the social media, which bombards us with a lot of entertainment. And that can catch just about anyone because we all love songs. We all love our sports. You show me a Caribbean man that don't like cricket. Maybe he isn't born here. Not finding time for prayer, reading, and meditation for spiritual development. That can happen to us in the modern world very easily, brethren. Then we are unable to keep in contact with the flock. That's another challenge. Due to, re to, due to reduced physical interaction, which in turn, can we, we can point the finger today at the COVID-19 restrictions. Some of my brothers and sisters, I haven't seen them for the longest while other than a, a video on the screen. So the call of the gospel in closing is for every brother and sister to come up higher and share in the task of managing the household of God as good shepherds. If we care for God's household, he will care for our household. As good sheep ourselves, this calls for listening and answering to the voice of the great shepherd. Thank you.